You know, I love when the Lord comes and confirms his word before it is even brought. He said he would do it, and he does. And then we're surprised when he does. Why should we be surprised? Because he does. Already, um, you know, as it says in Revelation, him who has an ear, let him hear. The Lord is speaking. The question is, are we listening? Lord, we open our hearts to you today and to your word, even as you have already faithfully spoken. Lord, we um, we welcome you, who are the spirit of prophecy, to come and declare forth the word of God into our hearts. It is your word that brings transformation. It's your word that brings the restoration for which we long. In this year of restoration, that is the cry of our heart that you would restore us. So we welcome you today. Come, restorer. And speak. we are listening. Amen. If you have your Bible, would you please turn to Mark chapter 9. If you don't have a Bible with you, would you please pull out this pew Bible that's located in front of you and uh, turn to page 715 if you would. I think it's important to actually uh, interact here with the physical pages of the text. Or for those of you with your technology thing you got going, that's okay. Just scroll to there, whatever it is that you do. But it's important to be engaging with the text today. Mark chapter 9, beginning in verse 30, and we're going to read all the way through 50. We're taking a substantial piece of text today because it's all interconnected. And I'm going to read it, then we're going to walk through it, and then I'm going to make some observations for us this morning and hopefully some specific takeaways for us today. They left that place and passed through Galilee. Jesus did not want anyone to know where they were because he was teaching his disciples. And he said to them, the Son of Man is going to be betrayed into the hands of men. They will kill him and after three days he will rise. But they did not understand what he meant and were afraid to ask him about it. They came to Capernaum and when he was in the house, he asked them, 
What were you arguing about on the road? But they kept quiet because on the way they had argued about who was the greatest. Sitting down, Jesus called the twelve and said, If anyone wants to be first, he must be the very last and the servant of all. And he took a little child and had him stand among them, taking him in his arms. And he said to them, Whoever welcomes one of these little children in my name welcomes me. And whoever welcomes me does not welcome me, but the one who sent me. Teacher, said John, we saw a man driving out demons in your name, and we told him to stop, because he was not one of us. Do not stop him, Jesus said. No one who does a miracle in my name can in the next moment say anything bad about me. For whoever is not against us is for us. I tell you the truth, anyone who gives you a cup of water in my name, because you belong to Christ, will certainly not lose his reward. And if anyone causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin, it would be better for him to be thrown into the sea with a large millstone tied around his neck. If your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. It is better for you to enter life maimed than with two hands to go into hell where the fire never goes out. If your foot causes you to sin, cut it off. It's better for you to enter life crippled than to have two feet and be thrown into hell. And if your eye causes you to sin, pluck it out. It is better for you to enter the kingdom of God with one eye than to have two eyes and be thrown into hell, where their worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. Everyone will be salted with fire. Salt is good. But if it loses its saltiness, how can you make it salty again? Have salt in yourselves and be at peace with each other. One month ago, we began a series that is going to take us through this season of Lent. Lent being a season of reflection leading up to Resurrection Sunday. And an opportunity to engage deeply and gaze intently upon the Lord and allow Him to work deeply in the foundations of our lives. We've entitled this series Radical Shift Back to the Core of the Gospel. And if you remember, as most of you will, but if you are newer here or haven't um, been coming the last several weeks, let me remind you again of the the true meaning of the word radical. The true meaning of the word radical means back to the root. In mathematics, it's a term finding that root of the number, the the, the root, going back to that root or that core. And shifting is a dislodging and a repositioning. And what the Lord is doing is He's desiring to go down deep into the very core 
foundations of our lives and move, literally move the foundation stones so that they will be properly aligned with His heart, with His truth, with His purposes. And as Tom was mentioning earlier, that work can get uncomfortable to us. But, like we say, saying to my future son-in-law as he was working on my neck yesterday, it hurts so good. It hurts. He's an athletic trainer, and, you know, I'm an athletic guy, so. <laughs> it works really well, so. All right. You haven't met my son-in-law to be Nate. He's a really good guy. All right. So this morning, we're going to talk about having an attitude adjustment. We're going to call up AAA, and we're going to get an attitude adjustment. Many of you have heard the quote, the famous quote from Chuck Swindoll. He says lots of good stuff. This is probably one of his most well-repeated and well-known. He writes, the longer I live, the more I realize the impact of attitude on life. Attitude to me is more important than facts. It's more important than past, than education, than money, than circumstances, than failures, than successes, than what other people think or say or do. It's more important than appearance, giftedness, or skill. It will make or break a company, a church, a home. The remarkable thing is we have a choice every day regarding the attitude we will embrace for that day. We cannot change our past. We cannot change the fact that people will act in a certain way. We cannot change the inevitable. The only thing we can do is play on the one string we have, and that's our attitude. I am convinced that life is 10% what happens to me and 90% how I react to it. And so it is with you. We are in charge of our attitudes. In verse 30, it tells us here, come back to the text, keep it open, stay with me, because we're going to, again, we've got a good chunk of text we're interacting with today, so it'll help you, and it'll help me communicate with you, and the Lord to speak to us together, if you will interact with me around the text. This is a transitional passage, because... They are moving from where they have been in Capernaum. They are now physically moving through Galilee. They're on the way to Jerusalem. They are heading towards the conclusion of Jesus' earthly life and ministry. And Jesus is intent here during this time on spending very concentrated, intensive moments with his disciples. Jesus did not want anyone to know where they were. He, he's looking to spend 
you know, very um, deep, intimate time with his disciples. And his teaching during this traveling moments goes very deep. It's not so wide as it is deep. There's still some core shifts that he's seeking to establish in his disciples before his crucifixion. And he said to them, and this is the second time now that he repeats this prophecy. Remember, he shared this with them back at the end of Mark 8 when Peter says, no, no, that can't be true. (laughs) But here's the second time that Jesus says to them, the Son of Man is going to be betrayed into the hands of men. And some of your translations probably um, put it a little bit differently and perhaps even more accurately here. It says, the Son of Man is going to be delivered up into the hands of men. And that phraseology that Jesus uses is very intentional because that word delivered up has not only practical connotations, but has very powerful spiritual overtones. And it's used very specifically in Jewish literature in the context of martyrdom. And it has to do and speaks very directly of the sovereignty of God. And the fulfillment of the prophetic purposes of the Father. So when it says he's going to be betrayed into or delivered up into the hands of men, remember Jesus said, you didn't take my life from me. I willingly gave it over. And so let's be clear here that Jesus is saying, I am going to be delivered up And that will be the fulfillment of the Father's plan and purpose in my life. And I love verse 32. But they didn't understand what he meant and were afraid to ask him about it. This is what I would call willful ignorance. Of course, none of us ever do that. We never choose willful ignorance, right? Hmm. Not us. All right. Now, we have three attitude adjustments that take place in the remainder of our text. The first comes here. They came to Capernaum And when he was in the house, he asked them, what were you arguing about on the road? Now here's the picture that you need to have. They're they're traveling along and Jesus, being the teacher, being the rabbi, being the master, the one that his disciples are following, they're literally following him on the road. It would have been entirely wrong for them to walk up alongside of him. So as Jesus is walking along, they're trailing out behind him. They're walking at a respectful distance behind him, walking along. And as they're walking along, 
there's this conversation that's going on among them. As I was thinking of that picture, I was reminded of of uh, many of our hikes this summer. As the family was following the master. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> As we're hiking through the mountain, you know, and they're spread out behind me, and God bless them, Claire and Noah did such a good job talking among one another, and normally not arguing, normally just talking and chatting. But you get this picture, they're walking along, and here's the disciples all having this conversation going on, which periodically wafts up to Jesus. He overhears this conversation going on. And he says, now, what were you arguing about on the road? Now, here's something that's really important, and you've heard me say this before, but let me remind you again. When Jesus asks us a question, it's not because he doesn't know the answer. When he asks us a question, it's not because he's thinking, huh, I wonder what they were talking about. He's asking the question because he wants to open up and bring revelation to their hearts. Because it provides a doorway, a teaching moment for them. Now the disciples are starting to get it a little bit and they, because they, they kept quiet. <laughs> because they'd been, you know, I think somewhere they realized um, this probably was not the best conversation for us to be having. So, you know, the conspiracy of silence, we just won't tell him what we were talking about. So everybody kept quiet. But Jesus says, now look at what it's look at what verse 35 says, sitting down. Now Jesus isn't sitting down here because he's tired. He's sitting down because in that day and in that context and that time, when the rabbi sat down, it meant listen up. This was the, the formal posture for teaching. Sitting down. So sitting down, Jesus called the twelve and he said, if anyone wants to be first, he must be the very last and the servant of all. Jesus goes right to the heart of the conversation that they were having. And he took a little child and had him stand among them And taking him in his arms, he said to them, whoever welcomes one of these little children in my name welcomes me, and whoever welcomes me does not welcome me, but the one who sent me. Now people, this is a massive attitude adjustment that the disciples are being invited into. This goes against everything that they've been taught, everything that they have Um, embraced as a, a, a core value. I 
A child, literally in the Aramaic, the word for child and the word for servant are the same thing. So Jesus uses here a a living picture. He brings this child up and says, here you go. You want to be first? You're going to be last. And you're going to welcome these. The first attitude adjustment is this. It's an adjustment to humility, which means letting go of my right to be first. We live in a culture of rights. Jesus is going to flip that on its head and still does and talks about a culture of responsibility. In the Gospel of John, Jesus gives another profound picture of this. If you remember the if you remember the setting, it's right at the Passover. It's the night Jesus is going to be betrayed. He's spending time with his disciples. They have come. They've been journeying. They've been on the road. Their feet are dirty. And Jesus takes the basin of water and the towel and he does what the servant in the house is required, you know, as part of protocol to do, and that is to wash the dust off of the feet. And Jesus, knowing who he was, very powerful. I, we could preach all of this in John 13 and be a whole nother sermon. This is, by the way, a whole series, so it's dangerous. I'm going to try to stay focused. And he gets to the end of washing their feet, and he says, you call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that's what I am. This is what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. I tell you the truth, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. I've said this as an example to you. The, um, the key scripture of the whole Gospel of Mark is found in Mark 10, verse 45. We're going to get to it later in a few weeks. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give His life as a ransom for many. This is the kingdom, people. It's letting go of my right to be first. It's a shift from an ambition to rule to an ambition to serve. Jesus doesn't say you shouldn't have ambition. It's just that your ambitions have changed. They've been transformed. They've been turned upside down. And the key question here is not where am I being called to power, but where am I being called to empower? Think about that one. Not where am I being called to power, but where am I being called to empower? 
All right. I know there's so much more. Let's go on, though. Verse 38. By the way, that one other thing in verse 37, that welcome me, that's a, that's a hospitality term. We talk about that a lot around here, being a safe place where strangers can become friends. Hospitality being defined as creating safe space. That's what humility does. It's welcomes. It provides a safe place. Verse 38, teacher said, John. Okay, now here's, you got to put yourself in the disciples' heads. Okay. He nailed us on that one. But we're really confident we did a good thing here. Okay? He's going to like this. Okay, we blew it there, but now we can earn back some points. Okay? I mean, come on. These are guys just like us guys. So John said, and I love this, the sons of thunder. John, the apostle of love. We saw a man driving out demons in your name, and we told him to stop. Because he wasn't one of us. Pretty good, huh? (laughs) Jesus comes back. Don't stop him. No one who does a miracle in my name can in the next moment say anything bad about me. For whoever is not against us is for us. I tell you the truth, anyone who gives you a cup of water in my name because you belong to Christ will certainly not lose his reward. And if anyone causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin, it would be better for him to be thrown into the sea with a large millstone tied around his neck. Ooh, now there's a lot, again, that we could unpack here. But I want to just get right at the heart of what Jesus is going after here and the attitude shift that needs to happen within his disciples. And it has to do with unity and letting go of my right to be in front. Pick me, pick me. Are you seeing all that I'm doing here, Jesus? These folks, I don't know what they are about. But we, we... Now, there's some particular irony here. I mean, there's some stuff even in the text that I, 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 I don't even feel fully equipped to pull out to you this morning. But think about this. The context is the disciples have just not been able to deliver a boy. And now, and so Jesus uses some irony and some very subtle humor in here in speaking to them. But the heart of what Jesus is saying is it's whoever does, no one who does a miracle in my name. Now, Jesus used a very specific context here to to speak of. It's not just like, like we were talking about last week, presence, not program. Just... Tacking on in the name of Jesus is not some sort of magic formula that, you know, it's like, well, then I've just signed the check with Jesus' name and so it's got to be delivered. But rather it speaks of an actual life-giving relational connection. 
And when that's going on, when there is life-giving connection with Jesus, then He's the one who is in front, not us. Because it's all about Him. This is why John the Baptist, again in the Gospel of John, writes, a man, I'm sorry, speaks, saying, to this John replied, a man can receive only what is given him from heaven. You yourselves can testify that I said, I am not Christ, but am sent ahead of him. The bride belongs to the bridegroom. The friend who attends the bridegroom awaits and listens for him and is full of joy when he hears the bridegroom's voice. That joy is mine and it's now complete. He must become greater. I must become less. He increases, we decrease. And the more He increases, the more He brings us into a place of genuine unity. The shift here is from jealous independence to joyous interdependence. This is what we were praying into this morning in the service. The Lord wants to shift us from jealous independence where, you know, it's us for no more to a joyous interdependence. This is much like what Moses and Joshua experienced, remember back in Numbers chapter 11, we don't even have time to go back there for much, but just remember, you know, there was the Spirit of God was resting on the 70, um, they prophesied, verse 26 of Numbers 11, however, two men whose names were Eldad and Medad, those would be great names for some young men around here, all right, had remained in the camp and they were listed among the elders but didn't go out to the tent. Yet the Spirit also rested on them, and they prophesied in the camp. And a young man ran and told Moses, Eldad and Medad are prophesying in the camp. And Joshua, son of Nun, who had been Moses' aide since youth, spoke up and said, Moses, my Lord, stop him. But Jesus replied, Are you jealous for my sake? I wish that all the Lord's people were prophets, and the Lord would put His Spirit on them. Then Moses and the elders of Israel returned to the camp. Recently, I've connected with another pastor in the community. I've connected with a lot of pastors in the community, but and I've been going over and just joining, praying at their church with some of their leaders just to, just to pray. It's so fun. God, just to bless that congregation. Just love it. Because we need them. We need each other. The question is, not, is God on my side, but rather, are we on God's side? Again, Joshua, when he's coming to Jericho and the angel of the Lord shows up, are you for us, against us, who are you for? I'm here. <laughs> are you on my side? Last one. Uh, this one's rather intense. Verse 43, if your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. It's better for you to enter life maimed than with two hands to go into hell where the fire never goes out. If your foot causes you to sin, cut it off. 
It's better for you to enter life crippled than to have two feet and be thrown into hell. And if your eye causes you to sin, pluck it out. It's better for you to enter the kingdom of God with one eye than to have two eyes and be thrown into hell where their worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. What's Jesus after here? He's after the issue of integrity. Letting go of my right to be free to do as I please. David prayed for that integrity in Psalm 51 when he said, and asked the Lord to establish truth in the inmost parts, wisdom in the hidden places. Go deep, God, into my life and let there be a congruence within me. Paul, writing in the book of Galatians, says, You, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free. But do not use your freedom to indulge the sinful nature. Rather, serve one another in love. And this is the context, again, of what Jesus is talking about here. He's not simply talking about personal piety. He's talking about relational purity and integrity as well. He's talking about how you live your life because if anyone does this little child and, and causes them to sin and the, and the millstone around their neck, we are called to live our lives in community with one another. Very dangerous to try to live it any other way. In fact, impossible to live it Christianly, biblically, any other way. Again, Jesus isn't just trying to make you more pious. He's trying to make you more real. And to bring you into life with other people. So, do not use your freedom to indulge the sinful nature. Rather, serve one another in love. The entire law is summed up in a single command. Love your neighbor as yourself. If you keep on biting and devouring each other, watch out or you're going to be destroyed by each other. For the sinful nature desires what is contrary to the spirit and the spirit what is contrary to the sinful nature. They are in conflict with one another so that you do not do what you want. So that you do not do what you want. Verse 18. Sorry, I, needed to, I wanted to go all the way there. One more verse. But if you are led by the Spirit, you're not under law. If you are led by the Spirit, you are not under law. Integrity has to do with being led by the Spirit. What are you responsible to do? You are responsible to do what the Spirit of God speaks into you to do. And He speaks through His Word. He always in congruence with the Word of God, always in congruence with the heart of the Father, always in congruence with the love and mercy of Christ. So the shift is from I did it my way, the great American anthem, to I'll do it his way. And the question is, not what can I get away with and not die, but rather what do I get to do to gain life and be life-giving? 
So this question of amputation has to do with other things in my life that are causing death to me and to others. Other attitudes, other actions, other things going on in my life that need to be cut off in order that more fruitfulness, more life can come. So that there's a deeper integrity. In all that I do. I've shared this story before. I'll share it again. Early on in our marriage. And my wife, by God's grace, has a good forgetter about stuff pertaining to her husband. But... I remember early, I still remember where we were, and I remember what was going on, and I remember the words that came out of my mouth, which were, well, that's just the way I am, and so you're just going to have to accept that because I can't change. And the words were no more out of my mouth than truly, honestly, the conviction of the Spirit just went kaboom. And he touched me. Oh, he touched me. And it wasn't through an ad. Not at all. Because God just gave her the grace to pray for me. But what I was really saying is I won't change. So deal with it, honey. And God says, oh, you can change. I'll change you. Just cooperate with me. I want you to change because I want life in your marriage. And 26 years later, I mean, we're coming up on 27. Woo. Aren't we? Yeah, 27. Good. She's, she's looking. She's doing the math too. Okay. In those in-between years, it gets a little bit, you know, foggy. But okay. 27 years, I can say we've changed and our life together is much richer and better and greater than it was then. But it's because we allowed the Lord to do surgery. You know? And that, that's in all kinds of areas. I'm just using that as an illustration. That's workplace. That's community life as a church. That's life out there in the neighborhood. That's, that's everything. That's all of what God's after. All right. We are coming to a close. So worship team, come on up, if you would. Here's the shifts we've looked at. The first week, and if you want, you can always go back. You can go to the uh, website, www.bcfnations.org, and you can listen to these. You can also sign up for CDs uh, and get a CD of these messages. These are the core shifts already that the Lord has invited us into. The first is that of surrender. The second core shift was obedience. The third core shift is dependence. And to kind of pull these shifts that we've talked about here this morning together, the fourth shift that God is inviting us into is relinquishment. Relinquishment is the letting go. It's the relinquishment is the outworking of surrender and obedience and dependence. It's it's lived out surrender. 
And moving from rights to responsibility in the Lord. Pastor Sam and I, we're, we, we were both preaching in the same series, and so we've been interacting about the text, and he sent me a, an email, probably from his phone thing, I don't know, whatever he does. We go into staff meetings, and I hand him paper, and he says, what's this? You know, it's, you know, it's paper, Sam, pen. Okay, anyway, so he sent me a, um, an email, this was great. He said, just had this funny thought for Sunday. The world wants to wield their rights, but God wants us to yield our rights. Isn't that good? That just helps to kind of click it into place. Instead of wielding our rights, we yield our rights. Well, Lord Jesus, help us. Have mercy on us. You know our hearts, O oh God. And you know, Lord, how much we resist letting go and laying down our rights. Lord, you know that we want to hang on and grasp But Lord Jesus, in this time, you are doing a radical shift in us. And we want to say yes to that shift today again, Lord, as hard as it is. We want to yield. Let me finish with this thought. Everyone will be salted with fire. That has to do with sacrifice, people. Everyone will be salted with fire. Fire speaks of purification and revelation. God wants to salt us with fire of His presence. We were praying about that this morning in the pre-service prayer. He wants to salt us with fire. Salt is good, but if it loses its saltiness... How can it be made salty again? Have salt in yourself and be at peace with each other. He goes all the way back and pulls in their original conversation about who's the greatest. He says, that's not what we're about here. Be at peace with one another. Live in shalom with one another. And be salt and life out there in the world. As the choir sang to us this morning so beautifully. But it requires a sacrifice. In the Old Testament, every sacrifice was made with salt. And He's calling us to sacrifice again this morning. Our rights to be first, to be in front, to be free to do as we please. We sacrifice that and lay that on the altar today, Jesus. And we yield to You. And we lay down And welcome your surgery in our soul today. So that we can be restored. And so that the world can know and we can represent Him well. Jesus, have mercy on us and help us, we pray. 
for your name's sake and for your glory, Lord.